Hello, welcome to The Lore You Know, a show where we chat with some amazing human beings who are storytellers, collectors, and folklorists as we discuss the history of, inspiration behind, and importance of recording and sharing regional tales. Today, I have Joe Perdue from, where are you from? Uh, West Virginia and uh, Wild and Weird West Virginia is our business name and our research team is the West Virginia High Strangeness Collective. Nice. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to join up with you guys and do a podcast with you. I think it'll be a good time. And for whatever reason, my video. <laughs> so you're one half of a team, correct? Indeed. I'm one half of Wild and Weird West Virginia. My business partner is Ron Lanham. Um, he's he's a he's a great guy. He's all into aliens, UFOs, all that good stuff. And then I'm into the cryptozoology and Bigfoot and dabble around with the UFO subject and whatnot. Nice. So from West Virginia, lots of folktales in the area. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Appalachia is rich with folklore and folktales. Um, many of which have been, uh, I, I guess you could almost say debunked, but they're still folklore. They're still stories. They, they still, you know, are linger around, but yeah. When you were growing up, did you hear anything that just that stuck with you over the years? One of your favorite tales to hear as a kid? Oh, just, uh, it, I guess part of it would, would be, um, some of the old, Bigfoot lore, you know, because yeah. um, booger and wood booger and all that, that right. was derivative. Uh, it was the East Coast wild man kind of mm-hmm. nickname that they gave and uh, specifically in West Virginia and um, this region in Appalachia is uh, the booger, the booger man. Don't don't be out after dark. The booger man's going to get you, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, those stuck with me for sure. Um, but then also my uh, my great grandmother on my dad's side she was um first nations and they were into all kinds of different stuff and parts of that side of the family were were called mountain witches and things of that nature as well because they practiced the old ways that the the tribes used to do as well as you know what the settlers had come in and mixed with it so did any of that get passed down to you some of some unique uh, um yeah i mean like the the knowledge of the forest the wood lore I guess was what was mostly passed down to me by my grandmother. Um, You know, I grew up in uh, rural West Virginia. Yeah. It's a really fun word to say rural, but um, yeah, (laughs) uh, (laughs) we, I spent a lot of time out in the woods and learned how to forage and learned how to um, find all kinds of edibles and how to hunt and things like that. And Mm -hmm. Uh, just the the common sense of the woods, I guess, is the biggest thing that was passed down. What a lot of people would maybe refer to as magic, which is, you know, don't eat this mushroom or else you might see God for 10 days. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Uh, how, how has that influenced then your life as an adult? Well, um, I'm actually a certified master naturalist. So I spend a lot of time in the woods. Um, I, I work with the DNR and I teach educational classes about the forest and nature and also folklore. Um, cause those are fun campfire stories. Those are, those are great to sit around and, and scare the living daylights out of kids and watch them <laughs> scurry back to their tents at the end of the night. So, uh, that is, it's a part-time profession for me, um, mm-hmm. because I, I mostly, I'm a stay-at-home dad and yeah. we run the the business side of wild and weird where we make merchandise and collectibles and then i work with uh the forest essentially so yeah i spent a lot of time in my research areas which is nice and um it, it's it's great being able to take people to those areas especially when weird things happen while we're in them right exactly what of the tales that you tell little ones to get them scared what's one of the go-to stories that you tell them Oh, uh, well, this specific um, forest that I work in is called Canola State Forest. Um, the I do a lot of stuff in, in that area, and um, the campfire tells her is this uh, a white lady story. Mm-hmm. And 
she was um, hung at what, what they call the lynching tree. And that tree actually still stands in the forest. And uh, it, it's at the edge of a baseball field, what used to be a baseball field and is now just a big open camping field. Mm-hmm. Um, but this lady was uh, hung there at the tree for practicing witchcraft and the likes. And now uh, her spirit is fabled to be able to be seen from time to time walking along the rocks, along the creek where she was hung because there's these massive uh, glacial boulders that were deposited there. So these gorgeous, massive rocks. And then you've got this gnarly looking tree, which was the hanging tree. And you've got the the rocks and all that. So people who've witnessed it have have often described seeing the lady in white around the rocks down by the creek or or even actually hanging from the tree. So when you start telling the kids about that, it's really it's really fun because you keep their attention and you have their back to you or their face to you and you keep their back towards a, a given area so what what i like to do is actually hang like a bundle of glow lights up in some brush and i'll put them way way back and i'll start telling all this stuff and we start doing the campfire setting because i teach them how to start a, a a fire from scratch and then we cook food on it and we tell stories and all that so by the time we get to the end we're in pitch darkness but we start you know, around 7.30 in the evenings as dusk is starting to settle in, in in the mountains. So I can see the lights glowing. I know they're glowing and I'm like, okay, yeah, let's do the, the white lady story. And then like, I'm like, and some people will say, if you stand up and turn around from your campfire, you'll be able to turn around and see the aura, the glow of the white lady. And then, you know, freak people out and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> that, um, as far as keeping this tradition alive for the next generation, there's something that you and I talked about at a, at a conference recently about a project that you have coming up about a festival. Yes. That's, that would be the wood booger jamboree. Yeah. Um, we're, yeah, it's, it's a good time. And we, we are, uh, we do a lot of focus in Southern West Virginia. Um, it's an area that often gets overlooked for any kind of events or activities to come into the region. Um, and because of that, there's just not a whole lot there and not a lot that goes on. So me being from that region myself, I always wished there were things like this that we could do when I was growing up. So the best thing to do now that I'm grown up is actually host these events in that area. Right. (laughs) And exactly. So, um, we're working right now with Boone County schools in West Virginia on putting together this, what will be an annual event. But it's also an educational process where the schools are going to be involved with this event as well. It's going to be a fundraising event. It's taking place during the school year. It's May 21st. Um, And it's a free to attend event. So the community doesn't have to pay anything. But there's going to be all kinds of local artisans who are going to be there selling their stuff. It's going to be like a a big craft fair. We're going to have music. There's going to be live, uh, well, live, live music and food. Um, we're going to have some workshops that we're going to do where we're going to tell these stories and then teach people how to do and conduct research. But the big premise of this is to set an example and show the school and the the students that this is doable in their community. Mm -hmm. And then next year, we're going to be working with the schools again and building their own event that will run at a different time than Woodbooger. Yeah. But they're going to come up with a name. They're going to come up with the design and logo. They're going to have to manage all the booking and the, uh, the, the table reservations and all that stuff. We're going to lay the logistical foundation for it. We're going to teach them how to do each step along the way and how to embrace their local lore to, to bring to life this event that is what is now called paratourism. And that will bring people from all over into this little region and could potentially be a nice economic awakening in that area. Right. That sounds fantastic. Who did you oh, the kids approach? are amped up. I bet. <clears throat> Who did you first approach whenever you do? I mean, when you go to the school district, are you going to like well, school meetings um, or? I was, you, I'm kind of the cryptid in the woods from that region. <laughs> 
So <laughs> whatever, um, whenever they were looking for some people to do some things in the school, they were having reward days is how this all really started. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a reward day where they had us, uh, they, were, they were looking for just something to do with the kids. Um, you know, we're mid pandemic still at this point. This has been a year ago. Yeah. And they needed something to do where they could do it in the school. They were going to bring somebody in and they needed people who were going to be able to work within the boundaries that they had set and would be able to do the the whole distancing in the classroom and all that stuff and be okay with it. So storytellers, they work great, right? So they got a hold of us um, because my wife is a teacher and both she and I grew up in this area. So there's teachers at that school that knew us and they're like, oh, this, this would be great if we could get him and his business partner to come in and just tell stories and tell about West Virginia folklore and legends and cryptids and monsters and all the stuff. So that's what we went in to go do. And the kids just loved it. So we were invited to come and take part in this thing that was in the evening there on the same day. It was a big um, school, I guess, fair, you could say they had like craft vendors come set up. There was some live music and then there was us. And um, <clears throat> we, we were surrounded by people all evening. And so then that turned into them asking us to come back again. And then we started getting more, uh, more invites from other schools to come and present and do these same kind of topics. So we were talking to the kids and we were presenting these ideas and we were telling them about wild and weird con because all this took place before wild and weird con, which is our big annual event that we hold at chief Logan uh, state park in West Virginia and Logan, West Virginia. So all of this took place before that. And the kids were like, Oh man, I wish we could have something like that here. I wish we could have something like that here. That'd be awesome. So, all right, let's do it. (laughs) Let's make it happen. And uh, so Woodbooger Jamboree was born, and then we started brainstorming with the uh, principals, actually, of the schools that we went and spoke in, and they were on board. They're like, oh, yeah, this actually is a great idea, and we can do fundraising. It was like, yeah, absolutely. You guys can sell pepperoni rolls because that's, you know, West Virginia staple. Mm-hmm. And it's the, here's, here's something really interesting about pepperoni rolls that, you know, a lot of people don't know, but in West Virginia, it is the only food item that you can sell anywhere without having a food handler's license or a food service <laughs> card. It, it is, yeah, you can just, anybody can sell pepperoni rolls it, it anywhere, doesn't matter. So, um, <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, it's great. Right. So yeah. <laughs> they're going to be they're going to be selling uh, and, and making fundraising money for the school in this really low income school area that can use all the fundraising help it can get. Um, and so it, it all just kind of evolved from this, just us going and presenting in the schools and then the kids wanting an event in their hometown and then us saying, okay, yeah, we'll come do one, but then we're going to have you do one. And we want you to, uh, use your own local folklore, embrace the, some, some kind of creature that's specific to this area mm-hmm. and, and go from there. So uh, the name that I believe the school is going to run with current, I mean, we're still a year off from that, that event right. happening, yeah. but right now they're looking at this uh, creature, this um, legend, local legend uh, that they called the smoke wolf. Hmm. And it's uh, it, you've probably heard very similar stories when I start to tell you what the smoke wolf is. Okay. Um, it is essentially looks like a dog, a, a big black dog, your your devil dog, hellhound, whatever you want to call it. Yes. This is a big black dog, um, kind of like wolf, like German Shepherd wolf body type. Mm-hmm. But then there have been people who have actually um, hit this thing with their vehicle, and it just poof turned into like a, a a puff of fog or smoke something like that yeah. is what they, what they just so therefore that gets the name the smoke wolf so they're uh, i think that's going to be their mascot there i know there's some kids right now who are already working on um some some imagery and some concept art to to make their original banner with and all that stuff so it's it's really fun that's so cool <laughs> when you go to the schools and you talk to the kids are there certain i mean I would assume Mothman's a big hit to talk about oh, that yeah. cryptid, but are there others aside from Mothman that seem to always get their attention? Well, you've always got your rock stars, right? 
um, yeah. West Virginia's cryptids are the best cryptids. Yeah. Obviously. So Bigfoot is always a hit. Yes. Flatwoods monster is one that sometimes it's new to them. Sometimes they've heard it before, but mm -hmm. the ones that it's new to, they're just fascinated, you know, cause this isn't something that's like, Oh, wow. This is like a flesh and blood creature. No, this is more of like robotic in nature. It's, um, it is not totally organic, but, uh, the kids are really fascinated with that because their imagination can really run wild, um, with, what they can envision this creature looking like as we describe it to them. Right. What about uh, the vegetable man? You ever get into that with them? Oh yeah. Yeah. Vegetable man. Um, his, we, <laughs> we, we always tell really funny stories with vegetable man because um, it, it's one of those that uh, it's like a screen memory gone wrong, you know, <laughs> like it, this, these people experience some kind of uh, abduction scenario uh -huh. and the screen memory that's put in place the the creatures or the aliens or whatever if you will they just kind of scramble together like these people are vegan uh, this is the scariest thing we can come up with um and so then you have this vegetable creature that just comes lumbering forward at them uh it's but we've told them about vegetable man they always laugh at that one and so it's yeah. it's always fun that we and we kind of run with it too and we make jokes with it and um and and just have a good time and then we explain what screen memories are uh -huh. and so that's that's interesting then we get to go into the abduction phenomena which you know that's our little chance to scare the crap out of the kids in the classroom <laughs> yeah. and, um and and so we do that and uh we explain what screen memories can be um for example uh, we at wild and weird are of the persuasion that these not deer sightings are very likely um, some type of contact experience because a lot of the or the original tellings of seeing these not deers involve some kind of electronic malfunction, missing time, and there you have what. Apparently, one of my kids' possessed child toys is down here with me. <laughs> Fantastic! <laughs> Those are the best. Let me turn this thing off. I have no idea talking how that about, happened. Shouldn't have been talking about the not deer. I know, right? Was. Right? Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, that's one that I actually hadn't heard of until fairly recently because of TikTok videos people were sharing. Yeah. The um, idea of a not deer. The earliest mention of it, of a, uh, it was coined um, through Tumblr, actually. Um, okay. I don't know if you've like dug through and found where the term no, came I, from. I didn't. Um, it originally came from a Tumblr post okay. and, uh, this person was mentioning a description from Southern Appalachia of these people who were driving down the road. They, their car either stopped or they stalled out. I can't remember exactly. Um, but they were stopped for whatever reason, the car started having some issues with its electronics, um, there was missing time involved and then they saw this deer that they could only describe as not being a deer so the the author of this tumblr post coined the not deer phrase and that's it just kind of has ran wild since then mm -hmm. and um honestly like it, this goes to me being a hunter and a master naturalist and growing up in the forest deer do a whole lot of crazy stuff that like <laughs> most people have no idea they do yeah. and with what some of these not deer um sightings involve like well i saw the deer and it was facing away from us and then it turned and its body didn't turn but its head was now suddenly facing us well deer can periscope their head around like yeah. it's that's not abnormal if you've been anywhere near a field in ohio right. then you're gonna <laughs> see this happen as you drive by um yeah. right so <laughs> So yeah, like the, a lot of these uh, not deer sightings are totally deer sightings and um, they, yeah, I, we don't put a whole lot into it, but yeah, the ones where they seem to do uh, things that aren't natural, like move without moving, um, almost like it gets up and hovers towards, right. uh, towards you, that, that's one of the things it's kind of like, well, let's, if you look at this sighting and you start looking at everything else and you weigh it against um, these different criteria, it actually lines up better with right. post contact experiences. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that a little bit more, uh, the idea of post-contact experience? Well, um, so screen memories, and this is something too that you'll be able to get into uh, when you have Ron on the show, because Ron has done about 30 years worth of research into this. I've done about 30 seconds. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So this is now, the cliff notes version. This is the cliff notes. Now I, I've done my fair amount of research into it just because <laughs> we, we do have folks that come to us with contact experiences. So we have to be on it when it comes to this stuff. Um, but Ron will be able to go into a whole lot more depth uh, when you speak with him. So mm-hmm. the, um, the concept of this is that if someone experiences an abduction or is part of the abduction phenomena or has some kind of a contact experience with extra extraterrestrials, extra dimensionals, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. um, that the experience can sometimes be so damaging to the human psyche mm-hmm. that there is this psychic imprint that is put in. So that way you're just not this tangled bowl of spaghetti once the experience is over Mm -hmm. so there's this uh an object normally it's something that is seen as peaceful or non-threatening like a deer very common to see deer in screen images owls are another thing that is also very common to see in a screen image um just certain things uh normally they're animals that that are always seen as uh peaceful or it might even be a stuffed animal that is you're seeing in your room that is, you've never owned before and is not there after this screen impression is over. Okay. Um, so there's, there's a lot that can go into that. And uh, like I said, Ron can go deeper into it, but that's just the cliff notes version. That's just skimming the surface for, for the abduction phenomena and screen memories. Interesting. <clears throat> so going back to when you were younger, what was the first story that kind of got your attention in the, the world of weird oh man that's a tough one because um like it sounds super super duper cliche because it's everybody who grew up in that same time period <laughs> it's always you know the in search of with leonard yeah. nimoy and uh sure. me and me and my grandmother the one that i was telling you about earlier this was like our thing oh. when it when it would come on we would sit there i'm little and I'm curled up on the couch beside her and we're watching all these, you know, unsolved mysteries in search of and all that. And to me, I think the biggest one that stood out was, was always Bigfoot. I always had this fascination with the subject matter that there could be something out there. Mm-hmm. And um, I think uh, another one was always Loch Ness Monster, just yeah. because it, it was so, so crazy. And I, I'm, I was always a dinosaur nut and I still yeah. am. And even back then, I was like, yeah, no, like plesiosaurs don't do that. That's not their, their neck can't crane like that. Sorry. <laughs> They're seeing something weird. Yeah, that, you're wrong on that one. That was yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> after the shows were over and stuff, I mean, do you remember any conversations that you had with your grandma? Like, did you guys debate about the existence of these things? Or oh, did she yeah. Tell you stories yeah. and stuff? we we'd always talk about the the possible existence of these things and um you know it was there was always these times where we'd be sitting out on the back porch and we'd just start talking about what could be out there in the woods because she was fascinated with this stuff she grew up hearing about all these different things um you know we talked about the um the ghost lights or spook lights Mm-hmm. and seeing uh, different different animals that weren't supposed to be there, uh, th- things like that. And it, it was just always fascinating, the possibilities of the unknown, uh, I guess mm-hmm. is the way I would put it. Yeah. And um, then I did have uh, those, those kind of things all sort of faded away as I was growing older. You know, I got into mm-hmm. the teenage life and uh, I kind of shrugged off some of the stuff that I was really interested in as a kid and um picked up a whole other list of hobbies and then in 2001 i actually had a sighting of something that it fits the bill as bigfoot Mm -hmm. but that reignited um the i guess the the inquisitor that lived in my head and wanted to go and find answers and and try to make sense of these things Mm -hmm. can you go into that sighting um yeah uh so 
it was uh, the second weekend of September. Um, it was a weekend after uh, Labor Day. So I was going out, uh, I, I was a squirrel hunter and deer hunter. And the way that they, um, they strip mine the mountains in West Virginia, it leaves them in a terraced state. So it's like steps going up the mountain. Mm -hmm. And I lived on one of those terraces on a mountain. And um, so I, I would always hike up and I always spent a lot of time back there in the woods and hunted there all the time. And I would go up to the top of the ridge and then back down. And I had this one little area that I always liked to hunt in. And, you know, I, I cheated a little bit. It was private land, so I could get away <laughs> with some stuff. Right. But there was a small food plot. It was just like carrots and tubers, things like that. Nothing mm -hmm. crazy. I wasn't trying to, you know, bait in every animal in the area. Right, right. So I would go up there and I would check it out. And there was a big patch of mountain laurels that I could hide in and use it as a natural cover. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, if you're looking at it, the laurels would be on this, this side of the mountain. Then there was a little Creek right here. And then the next mountain started terracing its way up. Okay. Well, the reason I always hunted in this spot is because they had uh, timbered that area about 10, 15 years prior. And when they timber on these, these mountains here in West Virginia, it's a lot like when they timber um, in the Pacific Northwest. If you have any listeners out there, they'll be really familiar with this. They only timber a quarter of the mountain at a time. So that way you don't have this massive uh, hill slips and mountain like erosion. It right. doesn't, it's not as problematic. It kind of keeps everything in check. Mm -hmm. So this timbered area is nice and cleared out, but then on the parameters of the timbered area, the trees are coming up so it gives an area for undergrowth to kind of come in and abound so you've got tons of berries that will start to pop up there because you're getting all this sunlight now on the forest floor uh, you've got tons of small soft green vegetation so there's always going to be wildlife that are going to cruise around those open areas similar to what you see like in power line cuts how you know you've got the forest and then there's a power line cut and you've got the forest that area in the middle gets full of berries it gets full of um just all kinds of natural sugars and it attracts wildlife. So I'll go into that area. That's where I like to go hunt because it's wide open. I don't have to try to shoot around trees. It's just, you know, quick and easy. And I was being kind of a lazy hunter. <laughs> I was a kid. I was a kid. So uh, this, when I got down into the position, like I, I saw something moving at first, but the laurels are super, super thick. So I had to kind of get down into my spot before I could really get a good glimpse. And what I thought was moving was going to be like a black bear. And I was like, Oh, this will be really cool. I can't wait to get down and watch that. So I get down in my position and I'm looking through, I've got my clear wide open spot and it's broad daylight. And here are these three creatures and they fit the bill for what is described as Bigfoot. Uh, there was one that was a maybe four feet tall. It was really young and it was playing it was running around and jump like like a toddler you know it was running around jumping spinning goofing off having a good time and then there were two others one of them was down on its haunches and it looked like it was uh slapping and it it was slapping at this dead left behind tree so it was a, a tree that might have been rotted that was knocked down and grubs and all that stuff grow yeah inside those it's it's you know for, foraging 101 yeah. you get on dead stuff rip it open you're going to find food <laughs> right. so it that's my interpretation of what i was seeing anyway and then the other one was down on its haunches and it looked to be like just kind of pilfering through the ground and picking stuff up because that's where i had the potatoes and that's yeah. where i had the carrots at right so um then the wind shifts and it's no longer in my favor up until mm. that point, the wind was blowing at my face. Right. And then suddenly the wind shifts. The biggest one that was the closest one to the tree line stood up and I, I caught a decent look. I mean, this isn't like the, I'm still, you know, about 65 to the closest, 75 to the farthest away creature. Yeah. And so the, it's, you don't get to get a whole lot of detail out of this, but what I saw was from the back, it was a full rear shot mm -hmm. and it turned the upper body just a little bit. And I saw the profile of like a head. Yeah. 
I'm assuming it made a sound that I couldn't hear because the other two responded in kind, got up and moved towards the bigger one. And then they silently moved into the tree line and I was just froze. Um, I sat there and waited until I couldn't see them anymore. Mm -hmm. And then I made myself scarce and I went back home. Yeah. And I never went back and hunted that area again. But mm -hmm. a year later, I did go back out to that area just to measure how far away I was because there was a big stump. Um, there was an, probably about a just under three foot diameter stump that was in the ground. And when, when they were walking away, they walked by that stump. So I measured the distance from me to that stump and it was 75 yards. Wow. So um, that, was, that was my gauge and measurement there. And um, it, it, was really, it was really bizarre because um like i said i was i was terrified i was kind of froze but it wasn't terrified in the sense of like these things are going to come destroy me it was one of these things where my brain was just trying to process what i was actually seeing sure. because it didn't make sense it didn't fit my paradigm so to speak mm -hmm. um so once that was all over i went back i really didn't tell many people about it i told one of my closest friends um, I held it tight for a long time. And then I went into ministry. I didn't, didn't tell any of the people that I went to church with in ministry. Cause like that, that's one of those things at the time that I was thinking like, Oh, those people will think I'm crazy. They're never will let me come speak in their churches. No, I'm not <laughs> going to do this. Then I was in the military for eight years, not going to go tell my superior officers or anybody <laughs> I was in the military with, cause I was in the air right. force. Yeah. And I'm not going to tell those guys because sure. we've already been told going in, if you see something in the sky and you're flying, don't talk about it. Yes. So I'm definitely not going to tell you about what I saw out in the woods years right. ago. Not going to happen. So um, I didn't really talk about it much. I told Ron, obviously, like as, once yeah. Ron and I got together and started hanging out, um, I told him about it because he was, I knew he was into the weird stuff and then here we are now all these years later and we're running a research team and um we go out and investigate bigfoot reports and we follow up on ufo sightings um strange anomaly we actually even had one last night where we're working on a current investigation i can share with you it came in while we were recording the podcast a nice. guy a guy that lives about five miles down the road heard sent me a text message simply said did you hear that and i said yeah i thought it? it was the snowplow going by my house but they didn't run the snowplow last night we didn't get any snow that was doing anything yeah. so he had heard the same thing he's five miles away we posted it up on our uh, wild and weird talk page which is a group it's like a community group anybody can go and post and talk to um and we had about seven responses in our immediate area that heard the same thing and they all thought the same they thought yeah. that it was a train that had like stopped and you were hearing the uh the cars Rex. kind of buckle and pop 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 that oh okay yeah or they thought that it was a snowplow going by but when they went out to look there wasn't snow on the road for a snowplow to be going by and scraping so we had a weird atmospheric phenomena take place last night and we're mm -hmm. currently currently looking into that and uh so you know if you want to keep up with that just I guess follow one of the pages and see what we come up with. Cause right now it's, it's crazy. Cause we actually heard it. My wife and I both heard it here at the house yeah. and then a few miles down the road and it just really bizarre, <laughs> but, yeah. but here we are. So what's, what's the first step that you do when you start looking at something that's just like sound? I mean, how do you, okay. So investigation uh, look like the first thing that we do when it comes into sound is, uh, I go and I look at atmospherics. I send Ron a message. Ron calls a friend of his that works for um, the, the airport, the, okay. the Charleston International Airport, and calls them, says, hey, was there any kind of aircraft that would have been going, you know, breaching the sound barrier, anything that was low flying that shouldn't have been, just that would have caused some kind of auditory anomaly. Then uh, we go through, we check the, um, I can't remember the exact name of the, uh, the, the group, but it's basically the U.S. Meteorolog Meteorological Society. Yeah. And we make sure there was no like random pop-up thunderstorms that mm -hmm. come up. And then we go and we check for asteroids. 
and uh, and we look for it, it, it was there a bolide that crossed over the area and popped was there something that showed up on one of these meteor tracking sites and we look at timestamps. Uh, we that's the first thing we do is record the time. Then we call. We look at these different data points. We start to try to see if there's a natural answer to to what we've just happened. Um, some of them there we've actually been able to find the natural answer very easily. Like yeah, there was a a sudden thunderclap that came out of nowhere because the temperature dropped by 30 degrees in a heartbeat and it just caused this massive thunderclap to occur. Um, or we will come up to where we're at now where we're actually dealing with an anomaly because we've ticked off all the boxes that you know track this kind of possibilities that could occur. And uh, now we're just trying to figure out if there was anything seen at this point because currently nothing was visibly seen. It was only auditory. That's really interesting. Um, what <clears throat> when you post things in the group? I mean, do, do normally you get a decent response? I mean, normally is it that someone has has seen something or heard something, and there's usually a a handful that respond that they've seen it, or every once in a while do you get some reports where it's just like a one off situation? It, it, we actually get more one offs than we do anything else. Just and and that's just nature of the beast. Um, you know, we don't think that the person would be lying to us we believe what they right. said but we just want to cross-reference to see did anyone else see or experience anything unusual at this time to this time and we give them normally we we say like you know 25 30 mile radius of this area because we're trying to pinpoint and map out and what we were able to do last night was we we've got a map now that goes uh 21 miles and it moves directionally through the state. Um, wow. So all the sightings and all the timestamps are running in a line. So something moved, in my opinion. Yeah. Something moved overhead, whether it was some kind of atmospheric anomaly or it was something physical in the sky, we don't know yet. We're still looking into that part. That's really cool. Have you ever had any other experiences that are odd other than seeing? whatever it was you saw in the forest, any strange lights or UFOs or anything like that yourself? Um, the, uh, well, I was in the air force. So, you know, so yes, <laughs> the, the answer is yes. Uh, yeah. no, the, with the strange lights in the sky, a lot of stuff gets, um, I guess misclassified or misidentified. Mm -hmm. Um, and, having that air force background I, I my specific job was i built aircraft so i was very familiar with structures um so you know we see a lot of these videos come in and we're able to identify them pretty quick as like yeah that's a plane um yeah. but me personally uh there's one uh one ufo and it, i use ufo loosely it's lack of a better term um it was a glowing orange ball that me and my wife had witnessed while we were driving down a road called Taze Valley Road. We saw it up in the air and it was stationary. It wasn't moving and it was about the size of a dime from our visual perspective. Mm -hmm. And then it just wasn't anymore. Mm -hmm. Like it, it didn't, um, it wasn't like it zoomed off in any specific direction. It just blinked out and was gone. And um, so that one was odd. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Oddly enough, um, I was on the TV show Finding Bigfoot, mm -hmm. and while we were out looking for Bigfoot, uh, I was with um, Cliff Barrickman. Um, he was actually glassing with his uh, thermal at the time, but me and the cameraman both saw this brilliant white orb of light that we thought was somebody coming towards us to bring us batteries or oh. to, to come in and say, hey, your radio's not working right and we need right. you to switch radios or something yeah and uh this bright white ball of light just dashed over the mountain down a very steep incline and at incredible speeds and it didn't have you know, the crazy thing about it is it did not have any kind of splash effect um so there's no lighting that was hitting the trees or hitting the ground it was just this singular focal point of light and me and the camera guy both saw that 
And Cliff, Cliff was busy, unfortunately, glassing with this thermal looking over in another area because we'd heard a wood knock. Right. And then we saw this thing and it darted off over the hill and there were some explicatives said <laughs> um, because I had never seen anything like that. And for mm. me, that was kind of, again, it was that paradigm breaking thing, because even though we took a, dozens of reports of people seeing these mystery balls of lights, sure. like it's one of those things where we're like, okay, let's try to explain this away with some kind of atmospheric. Let's, we want to try to, not that we don't believe people. I want to right. stress that we're, we're, we are skeptically researching this stuff, mm -hmm. but we are experiencers ourselves. Right. But we know that the human mind can be played tricks on. Yeah. So we want to make sure that we can, you know, check off all the things that this thing could be before we start trying to figure out, you know, what kind of, is this an anomaly? Is this some kind of an unknown? Before we put that stamp on it, we want to check off every box we can to explain what it possibly could have been right. before we That's start trying to come answers. up. Yeah. Before we start trying to make any kind of exclamation that this was an anomaly or some kind of a, a spook like ghost light UAP, UFO, whatever, a Bigfoot sighting even. We, we want to make sure that all those boxes are ticked off before we say for sure, this could have possibly been a fill in the blank. Um, and so it was just really weird. That one was the, the seeing the white ball of light and it dart off. Uh, I was like, holy crap, I did not sign up for this <laughs> is exactly what I said, but not in, not in that clean of terms. And yeah. uh, then Cliff was like, what, what, what? And he comes off his therm and he's like, what'd you see? What'd you see? Tell me what you saw. And the camera guy was just kind of standing there too, like, uh, yeah, what did you see? And then I tell it, I tell him Cliff and him what I saw. And he's like, yeah, that's what I saw too. I thought it was good. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, dude, that was weird. And so, uh, Cliff at that point said, well, I've, I've researched enough on will of the wisps to know not to follow that. So let's just, uh, keep going this way. <laughs> let's go the other way. And, and I was like, yeah, oh yeah, I'm with you. I'm not wanting to follow this thing. I don't want to figure out where it was. I did not bring enough Vaseline for a possible abduction <laughs> scenario. Uh, let's just, <laughs> let's just keep going. <laughs> oh man. So, you uh, know, in the, in the moment we were just kind of making jokes to try to make light of it. Cause it really did actually sure. unnerve the cameraman and myself. We were like, mm -hmm. uh, what is happening? <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh man. So Toward the end of every episode, I always ask my guests to tell me a story and I set them up sometimes with like a scenario and okay. the scenario that I would like to set up for you is pretty simple. Pretend that I'm at one of these campfire stories, okay. <laughs> tale times, and you've already told me the one, so you can't trick me with the woman. I can't in white get you anymore. with the woman and the you lady. You can't get white. me with that one. Yeah. So tell me okay. another story. Alrighty, let's see. Normally I'm pretty good at these, but I'm on the spot. Normally I've got like at least 20 or 30 minutes of cooking some food to come up with something ahead of time. Uh, let's see. All right, I got one I'm actually going to pull a little bit of truth from. Um, Perfect. We're gonna Those are the we're, best kind. We're going to tweak it a little bit. So to, uh, I'll give you the background of the story once this is over. Okay. So here we are. Imagine the scene. We've got the campfire going, crackly fire sounds in the background, roasting some marshmallows, getting all settled in for the evening. There was this one evening that, uh, you know, I was driving down the road coming here into the forest, actually. And it's, 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 if you didn't come in the way I came in, um, the southbound exit is a gravel road and it's a one lane gravel road. And I'm driving along this road coming in and it's a mountain pass. It's not like the city pass that you came in where it was a two lane road and everything was nice and clean. This is straight through the forest and I'm driving in and I'm following along the curves of the mountains. And these mountains are old as time itself. The mountains that we're sitting in have been here longer than anything else on the planet. So the age of what could happen here, the mysteries that are held within these mountains are limitless because they're old as time itself. So 
I'm driving along these ridge lines and I'm seeing these strange lights. And I'm trying to figure out what they were. I'm, you know, I work here. I'm thinking, hey, maybe those are some hikers that are lost and they're, they've made it out here out the south boundary and there's no trail markers out this way. They're just coming down the mountain face. And so they're lost and confused. And so I stopped my vehicle and I started looking around and trying to find that light source again. I couldn't, couldn't quite pin it down. So I started moving again and driving down and get myself around the next finger on the mountain. And then there they were, there were those glowing lights again. I could see them. They were up on the hillside and it's just almost blue white, like, you know, your LED headlamps, similar to those, right? So think about that color. That's what I'm seeing up on the hillside. So I go around and I stop my vehicle again. I hop out and I'm looking up and I'm, I'm trying to see if I can put my eyes on somebody and get an exact location where they're at. So that way I can go up to help. And again, I lose the lights. So I hop back in the vehicle and keep driving on. I'm, I'm driving much slower than I usually would drive because, you know, it's normally Duke's a hazard mode as I'm coming out this road and I'm driving at the speed of mock Jesus. But <laughs> here we are. I'm seeing these lights. I don't want to run over anybody because I'm not going to be the one responsible for filling out that paperwork because that is going to take me at least two days sitting at my desk. I hit John Doe and turned him into a grease spot. So I wanna avoid that, right? So I'm going really slow. And as I creep around the next corner, I see the lights again, but this time they're closer. They're down over on the side of the ridge, just at the edge of the next turn on the next finger of this mountain. So I get out of the vehicle and I look up in front of me and I'm trying to get their attention. I start to yell, hey, hey, I'm over here guys. I start flashing the lights on my high beams so that way they can see me and trying to get their attention. And I lean back out the window again and I'm yelling for them. So I move my vehicle up again to a good spot in case someone comes in, has to pass me. And I pull over, I get out of the vehicle and I walk around the next finger of the mountain and I start yelling for them. Hey, hey, I'm over here. If you need help, I'm over this way. Just follow my voice. Start flashing your lights. I'll come find you. Nothing. And as I turn around and start walking back towards my vehicle, there stands this strange man wearing only his pajamas and he's barefoot. And I start trying to get him and grab a hold of him and walk him back out and, and get him into my vehicle. And he's uh, absolutely not having any bit of it. He's losing it. He's just going crazy, trying to fight me off and, and, and just yelling all kinds of craziness. And so I, I'm like, okay, okay, calm down, calm down. I get in the truck. I go to get on my radio so I can radio back to the home office. Let him know, hey, I got, I got some guy who's just confused. We need some backup, send somebody else out. As I go to get back out of the vehicle from calling on my radio, the guy's completely gone. So then I get back in my truck, radio back, hey, uh, this guy disappeared. We need to maybe do a search and rescue. Is anybody reporting any missing persons? Blah, blah, blah. You know, run through all the typical stuff. They report back, no, nothing, nothing yet. Just go ahead and drop a GPS tag. Come on back to the office. We'll get a group of people and come back out. Well, as we get back to the office, this individual who's wearing his pajamas beat me there. But now he's trying to get help. He's asking people for help. He wants to know what happened. And he tells us that he was down around the campsite and he was just going out to walk up to the restroom and he saw this bright, brilliant light. And then he doesn't remember anything else. So next time you get up and go, you know, try to go to the restroom, if you see any bright, brilliant lights, don't walk towards them because I don't want to be driving on the road and have to pull you away and, and get you back in wrangled in because that was a really weird story. And how am I going to explain that to your parents? <laughs> so guys, stay safe. Don't follow the crazy bright lights, especially that one. Ah, that's perfect. Yeah, right. So um, the, the funny thing about that was something very similar to that happened on I-64 through West Virginia about seven or eight years ago. Um, and it was actually on the interstate. And this dude like just suddenly showed up on the interstate at dark 30. And this woman tried to stop and help him. And like, he was not having it. He, he essentially, he was claiming that he was abducted um, and was in his living room. The last thing he remembered. And then, uh, all that. And they did a talk screen on him because the police came and had to wind up wrangling him up. 
the police came, checked everything out and like did a talk screen. Everything came back clean, but this, his, his not all there anymore. Uh, had a lot of issues with it. He's doing better now um, because we know a guy that actually went and kind of worked with him a little bit, but yeah, that was just a really bizarre story, but Hey, there's your little campfire terror story for you. That was perfect. I love it. Thank you. Oh, can you tell our viewers and listeners where they can find you and follow along with everything you're up to? Absolutely. So if you're on Instagram, you can find me at Skinwalker Sculpts. Uh, you can also find everything that we do over at wildandweirdwv.com. That has links to all of our social media sites, our YouTube channel uh, that we post weekly content to because I'm also a co-host for Wild and Weird Radio. And it is a weekly podcast series where we dive into the unexplained, the paranormal, cryptozoology, and the downright weird. So uh, definitely come check that out if you're listening to this. I know you're going to enjoy our show. Um, then uh, you can head over to Facebook. You can look me up, Joe Purdue. That's my name. Um, currently, I think I'm like standing out in the forest you know, doing my thing. Yeah. So <laughs> that's my profile picture. Uh, if you want to know more, feel free to get a hold of me, um, any of those places and see any of the stuff we do. Cause we make all kinds of really cool stuff. Bigfoot keychains, Bigfoot sculptures, Mothman sculptures, tons of different collectibles, um, all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah. I got one of the glow in the dark Mothman. Sculptures oh, nice. Like a year or so ago. Yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're actually coming out with a new version of a little, little tiny Mothman. And um, it, we're, it's a new prototype series. I can't tell you what the name is on recording. So I'll wait to a minute and okay. I'll tell you what it is. But right. there's going to be a whole series of these guys. That's and awesome. um, so they're going to have glow-in-the-dark eyes, all that great stuff. So you, everybody will really enjoy those. Those should be coming out next month. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining me. Absolutely. I'm out of your day, and uh, I'm sure I'll have you back again if you're up for it. Oh, anytime. You just let me know. I mean, yeah. Sweet. Good times. Awesome. Well, you guys can like, subscribe, comment below, email me, Heather, at smalltownmonsters.com. Guys, we have a Kickstarter going, so if you could, you know, hop on over there to that Kickstarter, maybe. You and just remember, guys. Rewards. There's, there's a cryptid that is cruising around out in the forest right now, lost, cold, and alone. But if you like, share, and subscribe, if you can contribute to the Small Town Monsters Kickstarter, then it might get the help that it needs. So continue your support for Small Town Monsters and everything that they do, and like, share, and subscribe. Exactly what Joe said. <laughs> Until next time.